it's good to see a lot of you here. Uh, and to, for those of you who are uh, joining us this morning on Zoom, uh, welcome. It's great to have you along as well. And um, hopefully we don't experience more technical difficulties as we were this morning. Um, but we're excited that you're here either virtually or in person and um, excited that it warmed up a little bit <laughs> this morning because um, it was pretty cold when we first got here. Um, and thanks to Casey. Great job with that, that message. And I loved uh, all the kids finding the sheep. Uh, it's good to know that God's looking after us. Um, if, you, uh, if you've tuned in um, to our Zoom meetings or if you've been here uh, in person, we are in the third week of a series that we started uh, called Embody. And we are looking at what it means to live out the genuine love of Jesus in a partisan America. Um, and what I've said is that we've been uh, calling out the elephant and the donkey in the room uh, because in many ways our imaginations for what it means to be Christians has been hijacked by the polarization of our country. And so we're doing this series to reorient us as the people of God. Uh, my friend Matt Tebby said it this way. He said, as Christians, we don't stand between an elephant and a donkey. We stand between Eden and the New Jerusalem. At the center of our story is a cross. And so we're not trying to be moderates. We're not trying to modulate between left and right. We're trying to center our story on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Um, and so what we've been saying is we've looked at Paul's letter to the Romans is that the way that you learn how to do that, the way that you learn how to center your story uh, on Jesus uh, in a way that resists the conforming influences of, of this left-right binary that we sort of uh, live in and swim in, is by offering yourself to a new way of living, by becoming living sacrifices. Um, Brian Zahn puts it this way. He says, it's not so much the task of the church to change the world as it is to be the portion of the world already being changed by Christ. So the, the, the way that we participate in God's kingdom means that we must begin first with us, in us, before we can ever hope to see any kind of measurable change in our community or our nation. And today, uh, we come to sort of the central defining characteristic of what it means to be a Christian. What it means to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, to be a child of God, Jesus puts it. Th this characteristic makes us distinct from every other system and philosophy on earth. And that is how we deal with our enemies and evil. We've been tiptoeing around subjects <laughs> until we've gotten to this one. This is where it gets real. Uh, and Paul puts it this way. I'm going to read verse 9 again in Romans 12, and then we're going to read uh, verses 17 to 21. Paul says this, love must be sincere. We talked about that last week. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We could spend uh, six weeks looking at all the various aspects of how this might flesh itself out uh, in our sort of polarized American culture. But I'm going to try to summarize this in one proclamation of good news. Are you ready? Gird up your loins. Here it goes. The good news that we declare today is that in Jesus, God has given us a new way to disarm evil without becoming what we hate. Church, lay down your urge to throw power at problems and throw your hands up in defeat. Instead, in view of God's mercy, lay your life on the line so that God's costly, cross-shaped love can expose the evil you see to the light of his inbreaking kingdom. We said throughout the series that uh, Paul is teaching this small interracial community of Jesus followers how to identify and resist the ways that their Christian faith is being conformed by the influences of Rome. And we're applying that same uh, teaching method to many of the American values and presuppositions that we've been discipled by as Christians in the 21st century. Here, in particular, Paul addresses how to deal with evil and with enemies. And it's in stark contrast to the way that Romans were taught how to fight evil. Uh, because in Rome, you, it was a, an honor-shame society. And so that meant that if someone does evil, and especially done, does evil to you, then they are attacking your honor. And so the, the acceptable response was to restore your honor by one-upping what was done to you. You match force for force, insult for insult, dishonor for dishonor. In other words, the way that you restore honor is by bringing the other party down to your level. You regain power by regaining the upper hand. And Paul says, that is not the way that you deal with enemies as the people of Jesus. Do not repay evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. Why? Because when we repay an evil, that we see with methods that are full of the evil of this world, we end up being overcome by the very same evil that we wish to see destroyed. The method itself ends up dehumanizing both the one who was harmed and the one who caused the harm in the first place. And so we become and perpetuate the evil rather than atone for it. But the good news that Paul declares, that we declare today, is that in Jesus, God has given us a new way to disarm evil without becoming what we hate. And so church, lay down your urge to throw power at problems and throw your hands up in defeat. But instead, in view of God's mercy, lay your life on the line so that God's costly cross-shaped love can expose the evil that you see 
to the light of his inbreaking kingdom. See, perpetuating the cycles of evil, it's not just a temptation for first century Roman Christians. It's just as much a temptation for us to fall into that same cycle and pattern. And this is due in part to the way that American society has trained us in how to handle enemies and evil. But again, we're being discipled in the way in ways that we not we may not be aware of. And as I think about American culture, I think that our imaginations have been hijacked by our society. And so when we see evil in the world, when we see wrong things being done in society or in our lives, we we sort of default into three methods for for dealing with and disarming evil. I think our, our, we default into these three patterns that, that don't actually disarm the evil that we see, but only perpetuate it both in society and in us. Okay, so here's the, here are the three ways that we do this, I think. The first is that, like Romans, we throw power at the problem. In other words, we think that the primary way to defeat evil is to be more powerful than the evil that's inflicting our lives or inflicting the world. If, if you think um, nationally about this, this is how it works out. That for the last at least 50 years, Christians' response for how to resist evil is to get the right people in the right seats of power. Is it not? That if we elect the right people, if we appoint the right people, if we institute the right laws and legislate the right morals, then we'll finally defeat evil in the world. Friends, this is what the culture wars were all about. It will overpower our enemies with good power. And it turns out there is no good power. Not when it's, not when it's wielded by, by people that are susceptible to the evil of the world. Uh, some of us, uh, we, we, we don't have, we, we look at the landscape of our lives, we go, you know, I, I just don't have that much power to wield, you know, I don't feel that powerful. So we resort to a different kind of power, which is the power of our opinions. And so we, we do things like uh, virtue signal, which we spout off about, um, about evils in the world to show, in a sense, that we're on the right side. We're the good guys. We engage in things like hashtag activism online. We scold our adversaries with guilt and shame. We, we give veiled threats and we look to score rhetorical points, overcoming evil with the power of our words. And if our power of persuasion fails us, then we'll resort to just being louder than our opponent. Many of us, though, I think when we look at the evils of the world, we don't try to throw power or opinion at it. We simply throw our hands up and we retreat. The problems of our country, the problems of our communities, they just seem too big. How in the world could I possibly have an impact? Or, or we're, we're afraid of what other people might think of us if we started to throw uh, ourselves into the ring of that particular evil. What will my coworkers think? What will my family think? 
maybe I'll just remain silent and we'll agree to disagree. And so we go into isolation and self-protection mode. We become disillusioned with the world and bitter towards its evil. We opt out. And we just allow our life with Jesus to be a spiritual life that's disconnected from reality. Friends, that's not the, that's not the life that God died to procure for us. And I, I would contend this morning that each of these methods are devoid of love and are therefore powerless in their ability to disarm evil because each of them are ways of attempting to address evil while refusing to personally bear the cost of confronting the evil that we face. They're ways of protecting our power, our privilege, and our time and our energy. Paul says the only way to disarm evil without becoming evil yourself is through love. And brothers and sisters, love always costs us something. But I, I think our, our privilege as, as middle-class suburbanites means that we feel like we can fill in a bubble on a ballad or share an article on Facebook and feel like we've done our part to correct the world's injustices. That our social location means that we can have opinions about the world's evils without ever needing to personally be affected or involved in rectifying those things. But the gospel of Jesus Christ does not allow us to opt out or settle for faux solutions to evil. The good news, family, is that in Jesus, God has given us a new way to disarm evil without becoming what we hate. And so, church, lay down your urge to throw power at problems or throw your hands up in despair. Instead, in view of God's mercy, lay your life on the line so that God's costly, cross-shaped love can expose the evil that you see to the light of his inbreaking kingdom. We don't disarm evil with opinions or with power. We disarm evil with disarming love. See, and as I said, the, the problem with choosing love is that it always costs us something, doesn't it? See, the actions that Paul talks about when he brings up how to deal with enemies, things like giving food and drink to your enemies, those things are, are, are the, the, the definition of what it means to provide hospitality. Opening up your home and your life to people that you hate. People that you, you vehemently disagree with. People that you wish weren't around. You bring them into your home and you feed them. And give them something to drink. Now, I don't know how that works itself out in coronavirus times. But I know that God isn't asking us to put love on hold. Just because we're in the middle of a global pandemic. See, these things that Paul brings up, they're, they're, they're all things that cost us something. They cost us time. They cost us money. They cost us comfort. And at the same time, they're all actions that require us to be close enough to the problems that we, we seek to address. He's saying you, follower of Christ, must be close enough to those affected by the evil that you hate so that 
you're in close enough proximity to be able to love that person or those people without hypocrisy. Love that's costly and love that's, that comes close. Does that sound like anyone you've heard of before? Friends, this is how Jesus dealt with the evil of the world that infected image bearers like us. He didn't come with political power uh, because that would have destroyed us along with it. He didn't come with persuasive opinions as if we needed better ideas about the world. No, he came close enough so that the problem of our sin could be absorbed in his body and he bore the cost by taking it to the cross. That's what we mean by cross-shaped love. That in dying for our evils, he both defeated its power in us and he exposed it for what it was. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 14 and 15, that he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross is God's victory lap over evil. That, that's what Paul's talking about when he says that when you do good to your enemies, you heap burning coals on their heads. That, I think Christians have, have used that term too often to think that, that it means something like, well, I'm going to make them feel really bad for what they did. I'm going to rub it in their face. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the cross. The cross was not God rubbing our evil in our face. It was God's uh, victory lap over evil, showing us how damaging it is to us so that he could remove it from us through his good love. Friends, we're called to that same kind of cross-shaped love. And by the spirit that God puts in us, we have that available to us today. A new way to disarm evil without becoming what we hate. And so church, let's lay down our urge to throw power at problems or to throw our hands up in defeat. But instead, in view of God's mercy, let's lay down our lives. Let's, let's throw our bodies in the ring so that God's costly cross-shaped love can expose the evil that you see in the world to the light of his inbreaking kingdom. Brothers and sisters, we, we don't choose costly love because it's the only option available to us. We don't choose costly love because it always feels like the good thing to do. We don't choose costly love because it always results in the outcomes that we want to see. We choose costly love because Jesus embodied it and Paul says that love never fails. It never fails. It never fails to accomplish what God wants it to accomplish in the world. It is what God would do in every single situation that he is faced with. Because Jesus showed that that's how you deal with enemies and evil.
There's a recent story that illustrates this. Um, it's been picked up by news sources all, all over the place. I first heard about it on NPR. Um, maybe you've seen it elsewhere. Um, there's a, a, a man named Peter Sawinski, who is the director of the Auschwitz uh, Memorial and Museum. And um, he heard about a story that was happening in Nigeria and he was distressed to learn that a 13-year-old Nigerian boy named Omar Farouk had been sentenced by a Sharia court to 10 years in prison for reportedly using blasphemous language about Allah in an argument with a friend. This is evil. And Swinsky, uh, he didn't write a pointed tweet or a stern op-ed. Um, instead, he, he sent an open personal appeal to the president of Nigeria on behalf of Omar Farouk. And I'd like to read a portion of his letter. He says this, I wish to request the pardon of this 13-year-old boy. Regardless of what he said, he should not be subjected to the loss of the entirety of his youth, be deprived of opportunities and stigmatized physically, emotionally, and educationally for the rest of his life. I am convinced that you have the authority to undo this sentence. However, if it turns out that the words of this child absolutely require 120 months of imprisonment, I suggest that in place of the child, 120 adult volunteers from all over the world, myself being the first among them, should serve each one month sentence in a Nigerian prison. If you agree to grant, to grant clemency or to the proposal I suggest, I will make an attempt to provide financial help for the boy's proper education. This way, instead of the destroyed young man, Nigeria will gain an aware and educated young citizen. You will undoubtedly agree that human rights begin with the rights of the child. When asked where uh, Mr. Swinsky would locate 120 volunteers to serve for one month at a time in a Nigerian prison. He replied, I have already, I have already found way more than 120. I can't even get back to everyone. And then he said this, we live in times when it seems that it's enough to click, retweet, or like in order to do something good. I wanted to do something more. Friends, I don't know if Peter Swinsky is a Christian or not, but he just gave the world a master class on what it looks like to overcome evil with good. To unmask the evil by subjecting himself to it. Family, what if, what if we took it upon ourselves to engage in every worldly evil with the same costly love as Peter Swinsky does. Imagine the army of volunteers that might follow if we fought evils like abortion and racism, poverty and drug abuse, not with, not with signing over political power to an elephant or a donkey, but by putting our lives on the line, our skin in the game, 
our time, our money, our homes, and our reputations to resist it where we live. What might happen? And who might follow? Friends, this is how this, the, the powerless Christian community in the midst of a vast Roman Empire cared for the lowest rungs of society and toppled the might of Caesar within 300 years. This is how they did it. It wasn't by electing a better Caesar. It was by becoming a community of costly and close love that cared for the lowest rungs of society, that called out the evils and said, I will do something bodily to resist it. As we respond this morning, family, what are you throwing at the evil of the world today? Where are you trying to overcome evil with power and opinion rather than with the goodness of costly, cross-shaped love? Allow me to leverage all the spiritual authority I, I can muster this morning as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as a pastor of this community, and say this. If the Spirit is revealing an evil to you and he has given you an imagination for how to resist that evil with the goodness of the kingdom of God and the power of heaven, by every means necessary, do it. Run the race, fight the good fight, put evil on notice and put on the armor of God. Go in the name and the authority of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. He has given you every power necessary to resist it and disarm it in his name. Don't give away that, that power that only comes from him to a political party and think that you've been an agent of the kingdom of God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You have our blessing and you have our support. Disarm it with costly, cross-shaped love. In Jesus, God has given us a new way to disarm evil without becoming what we hate. And so church, lay down your urge to throw power at problems or throw your hands up in defeat and despair. But rather, in view of God's mercy, lay down your life. Put it on the line. Put your body in the ring so that God's costly cross-shaped love can expose the evil that you see. Maybe nobody else sees the evil that you see. That's okay. The way that they see the evil that you see is when you give your life to expose it like Peter did. Expose it to the light of God's inbreaking kingdom and watch what the king does. Jesus is far more committed to defeating the evils of this world than we are. Let's trust him and let's follow him with everything that's within us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that your commitment to making this world look like heaven has never failed. You sent 
and gave up that which is most costly to you so that the evils in our own hearts could be exposed and defeated forever. It is hard for us, God, as your people, to see the ways that you are still doing this work in the world. We get blinded by the rhetoric. We get pulled into arguments and polarities that we never should participate in in the first place. God, forgive us and renew our minds. Or where we've been tempted to just throw a, a, a ballot at an issue or an opinion online rather than ask you what costly love would demand of us, forgive us and lead us in a new way. Thank you, Jesus, that you showed us how to do that. And that by your spirit, we don't just need to follow your example in our own strength, but we get to participate in the ways that the spirit wants to draw us into this kind of work in the world. So God, give us the, the minds to follow. Give us the strength and the will to do it. We pray that your kingdom come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven until the day that Jesus returns. We pray in his name. Amen.